Blog Talk Radio.
Greetings, this is Abayomi Azikawe, and welcome back to another edition of the Pan-African Journal. The Pan-African Journal is an audio news magazine. It's brought to you here on a weekly basis. Uh, I am your host, uh, Abayomi Azikawe. Today is Saturday, uh, February the 3rd, uh, 2024. We're broadcasting uh, from our studios in downtown Detroit. We would like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in uh, once again to yet another edition of uh, the Pan-African Journal Worldwide uh, Radio Broadcast. This episode features a Pan-African Newswire report uh, with dispatches on another round of airstrikes uh, by the United States and Britain against the people of Yemen. The Russian Federation has taken the bombing of Iraq and Syria by the Biden White House to the United Nations Security Council. We'll have details on that as well. Iran has clarified its position on war with the United States, and the South African Foreign Ministry says its embassy will remain closed in Tel Aviv. In the second hour, we look more in detail uh, at the Pentagon bombing of Iraq and Syria earlier this week. Finally, we begin our African-American History Month programming by examining the African origins of civilization through an extensive and rare uh, archival audio file featuring Sheikh Anta Jop of Senegal. These and other features will be brought to you during the course of our program. Stay tuned. Uh, we'll take our musical interlude uh, with the Um Kaltum Orchestra, our continuing Um Kaltum Film Festival. Let's listen in. سيداتي وسادتي حفلة الليلة ظهرة للمسرح الآن كوكب الشرق أم كلثوم لتغني أغنية من أروع أغنياتها العاطفية Thank you. 
Welcome back. And that was uh, the Um Kaltum Orchestra. Uh, and you're listening to uh, the Pan-African Journal, worldwide uh, radio broadcast. And right now we want to move into our Pan-African Newswire report. And uh, the United States, along with uh, Britain, have engaged in further airstrikes uh, in the West Asian state of Yemen. Uh, the resistance-affiliated media, the Sabah Press Agency, has said that the United States and the United Kingdom strikes have hit the governance of Sana'a, Haja, Dakmar, and Al-Bada. In addition, uh, the Reuters News Service, quoting two unnamed U.S. officials, has filed a report saying the targets struck uh, in Yemen were, quote, Iran-linked, unquote. The Reuters said these strikes appeared to be part of the U.S.'s ongoing retaliation against Iran-affiliated groups, which the U.S. blames are four drone attacks that killed three of its personnel in Jordan uh, last week. Yesterday, the U.S. struck 85 targets in Iraq and Syria, which it says belongs to the Khatib Hezbollah, the armed group that claimed responsibility for the attack in Jordan. At least 16 people in Iraq were killed in yesterday's strikes. The Iraqi government said as it condemned the, quote, new aggression against, quote, uh, its sovereignty and warned of dire consequences in the region. We will bring you more updates as information comes in, and uh, all you have to do is log on to the Pan-African Newswire uh, to stay uh, abreast uh, of these breaking issues. Also in relationship to Yemen, according to the Sabah News Agency, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in the Sana government stressed that the U.S. aggression on Iraq, Syria, and Yemen is a flagrant violation of the United Nations Charter international law and all international norms and conventions. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs in the Sana'a government has condemned the U.S. aggression on Iraq and Syria, along with the joint U.S.-British aggression on Yemen. The United States alleged in the early morning hours of uh, today that it had hit over 85 targets linked to the Iran Revolutionary Guard, Guard Corps, and its affiliated forces in Iraq and Syria responding to the recent attack on a U.S. military base in Jordan. According to the Saba News Agency, the ministry released a statement in which it condemned the American aggression against Iraq and Syria and the ongoing U.S.-British aggression against Yemen. The ministry stressed that this aggression is a flagrant violation of the United Nations Charter, international law, and all international norms and conventions. It also drew light uh, to the falsity of U.S. claims not to escalate tensions in the region and expand the current war, proving that the U.S. is indeed the real threat to international peace and security. In other news uh, related uh, to the Pentagon aggressions in West Asia, uh, this comes uh, after the U.S. initiated a series of strikes overnight targeting positions in Iraq and Syria. Now, Russian Deputy Envoy to the UN, Dmitry Polyaskia, on uh, today announced that Russia has sought an immediate session of the UN Security Council on February 5th uh, in response to the U.S. aggression on Iraq and Syria. Russia has just called for an urgent UN Security Council meeting to discuss threats uh, to international peace and security from the U.S. strikes against Iraq and Syria. The meeting is expected to be held at 4 p.m. Eastern 
time uh, on February the 5th, uh, Polyansky said on his ex account, uh, this comes after the U.S. initiated a series of strikes overnight targeting entities that the U.S. Central Command alleges to be affiliated with the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps and its allies. According to CENTCOM, U.S. forces struck more than 85 targets in Iraq and Syria with numerous aircraft, including long-range bombers that were said to have taken off from uh, the United States. The attack is said to be a response to an operation that targeted a U.S. military base in Jordan earlier this week. The strikes resulted in the deaths of 16 individuals and injuries to 25 others in Iraq alone, prompting the Iraqi Parliament Security and Defense Committee to call on the government to expedite the reaching of an agreement on the withdrawal of U.S. troops from that country. And uh, you're listening to the Pan-African Newswire segment. Uh, I am your host, uh, Abayomi Azikwe. In other news, Iranian President Ibrahim Raisi said yesterday that his nation will not start a war, but is ready to respond forcefully to anyone who tries to bully the Islamic Republic. We will not start any war, but if anyone wants to bully us, they will receive a strong response, Raisi said in a televised speech from Hormozgan province. Before, uh, when the U.S. wanted to talk to us, they said the military option is on the table. Now they say they have no intention of a conflict with Iran. The Islamic Republic military power in the region is not and never has been a threat to any country. Rather, it ensures security that the countries of the region can rely on and trust Raisi. His statement comes in the wake of a CBS News report that claims Washington has approved plans for a series of strikes over several days against targets, including Iranian personnel and facilities inside Syria and uh, Iraq, in response to a deadly attack on a U.S. Army outpost in Jordan conducted by the Islamic resistance in Iraq. And uh, finally, international relations minister in the Republic of South Africa, Dr. Nalidi Pandora, said that uh, South Africa's embassy in Tel Aviv will remain closed until cabinet decides otherwise. South Africa withdrew its ambassador back in 2018 already over Israel's settler policy. Government then recalled its diplomats stationed there in November over the killing of Palestinians in the occupied territory of Gaza. Pandora uh, said on Wednesday that cabinet was yet to deliberate on a national assembly resolution for the embassy's permanent closure, and that Israel also not be allowed admission in South Africa. Israel's ambassador to South Africa was recalled last year after being demarched uh, by Pandora. So our embassy remains closed at this moment. The functional embassy is in Ramallah, not the embassy in Tel Aviv. So we don't have the embassy functioning at present. As to the future and final closure, uh, this is something cabinet has to reflect upon. With that, uh, we're going to conclude uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment of uh, the Pan-African Journal. In concluding this segment of our program, we'd like to remind our listeners that the Pan-African Newswire is an international electronic press service. It is designed to foster intelligent discussions on the affairs of African people throughout the continent and the world. The press agency was founded in January of 1998. Since then, It has published tens of thousands of articles and dispatches in hundreds of newspapers, uh, magazines, journals, research reports, 
and on blogs and websites throughout the world. The Pan-African Newswire, the only daily international news source on Pan-African and global affairs. If you'd like to log on to the Pan-African Newswire so you can stay abreast of some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day, uh, just go to our website, and uh, that is at Blog talk uh, that is at panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. If you'd like to have access to the Pan African Journal Worldwide Radio Broadcast for today, uh, Saturday, February 3rd, uh, 2024, go to the Pan African Radio Network. That is at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. We'll take a break and uh, we'll be back uh, with more of our program for this week.
music uh, from uh, Candy Staten and uh, Living Side of Me. Uh, that track uh, was entitled, and you're listening to the Pan-African Journal Worldwide uh, Radio Broadcast uh, for uh, this Saturday evening. Uh, this Saturday evening is February the 3rd, uh, 2024, and we're broadcasting from our studios in downtown Detroit. And as we mentioned uh, earlier during our Pan-African Newswire segment, and our introduction, uh, the United States has, of course, widened uh, the war, uh, which erupted on October 7th uh, in the Gaza Strip in Palestine. Uh, they have engaged in military strikes in Iraq, Syria, as well as Yemen. Let's listen to a report uh, on these most uh, recent developments uh, taking place uh, in West Asia. How far will the U.S. go in attacking Iran-linked targets in the Middle East? Washington has carried out strikes against pro-Iran armed groups in Syria and Iraq. They're a retaliation for drone attacks last week in Jordan. So could this spill over into a wider conflict? This is Inside Story. Hello, welcome to the program. I'm Adrian Finnegan. The United States says that it struck at least 85 targets in Iraq and Syria using long-range bombers flown directly from the U.S. They were carried out in response to a drone attack on an army base in Jordan last weekend that killed three American soldiers. Armed groups backed by Iran are targeting the U.S. over its support for Israel's war on Gaza. President Joe Biden says the U.S. attacks are just the beginning of its retaliation. So... How will Iran react? And could this lead to a wider regional conflict? There's plenty to dissect and to discuss. But first, this report takes a closer look at those U.S. strikes. The U.S. has launched dozens of airstrikes in Syria and Iraq using long-range bombers. The White House says it does not see conflict in the Middle East but warns that attacks will continue at times and places of its choosing. U.S. military forces struck more than 85 targets at seven facilities utilized by Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps and the militant groups that they sponsor. Three of the facilities are in Iraq, four of them are in Syria. American officials call the strikes a retaliation to a drone attack on U.S. troops nearly a week ago. Three soldiers were killed and dozens injured at a military base in Jordan. Presumably the um, goal of the campaign is to reestablish deterrence, which is at the end of the day a political and a psychological condition. So uh, the question is, can the, these actions inflict enough damage on Iranian interests that uh, the Iranians will, uh, you know, basically step back from doing this sort of thing again in the future. Iraq's military condemned the attack as a violation of its sovereignty. And Syria's government says the occupation of its territory by U.S. forces cannot continue. But President Joe Biden vows that these strikes are just the beginning, leaving many to wonder how far the U.S. is prepared to go. Vincent Monaghan, Al Jazeera, for Inside Story. 
Let's bring in our guests for today's discussion from Tehran. We're joined by Mohamed Marandi, a political analyst and professor at the University of Tehran. From London, Renard Mansour, Senior Research Fellow and Director of the Iraq Initiative at Chatham House, a British think tank. And from Washington, D.C., Lawrence Kolb, Senior Fellow at the Center for American Progress and former U.S. Assistant Secretary of Defense. Gentlemen, welcome to you all. Uh, Mohamed Marandi, uh, Professor, uh, how dangerous a moment is for uh, is this for the region? Will these strikes be the last? The United States is only digging it, digging itself into in a into a deep, deeper hole. Uh, the United States uh, is illegally occupying one third of Syria. The United States keeps its military bases in Iraq, despite the fact that the Iraqi Parliament has told them to leave. They struck bases that are uh, linked to the Iraqi military. They belong to the mili Iraqi military. The Iraqis condemned the attack, and the same is true with Syria. Uh, they, Biden wants to look strong. He hasn't attacked Iranians. And most importantly is the fact that this is about Iraqi and Syrian sovereignty. The Americans like to call everyone Iranian proxies, the Yemenis, the, the Lebanese, the uh, Palestinians and the Iraqis and the Syrians, but that's just, they're just misleading public opinion and they're fooling themselves. People don't like their countries to be occupied. Okay, you, you could also um, argue, uh, Professor, that, that Iran is occupying uh, parts of, of Syria, Iraq and, and, and Lebanon, couldn't you? No, Iran doesn't have any forces in Iraq, and Iran's uh, role in Syria is with the consent of the internationally recognized government in Damascus. And uh, in any case, but it has, but it has, it has, United, it has proxy. It does have proxy militias, though, doesn't it? No, whatever Iran does in Syria, it is with the consent and support of the government. Iran helped defeat ISIS and Al-Qaeda. Remember, in, on February the 12th, 2012, Jake Sullivan, the now UN, uh, U.S. National Security Advisor, sent an email to Hillary Clinton saying, who was the Secretary of State, saying that in Syria, Al-Qaeda is on our side. ISIS came from Al-Qaeda. The U.S. Defense Intelligence Agency document of 2012 said that the U.S. allies in the region wanted to establish a Salafist, a Salafist entity between Iraq and Syria. And then the General Michael Flynn, who was the head of the, that agency at the time, said in an interview on, on Al Jazeera that the U.S. took a willful decision to support the establishment of that Salafist entity. That was ISIS. So the Iranians, when the U.S. and its allies were establishing ISIS and Al-Qaeda and their affiliates, the Iranians were helping the Syrians and the Iraqis to prevent ISIS from taking over Damascus and Baghdad. Renard Mansour in London, what do you make of what you just heard? Well, I think, uh, I mean, it's important to kind of nuance some of this history. Uh, the Americans uh, were also invited um, to Iraq in 2014 by the Iraqi government uh, to support in the fight against ISIS. So at that time and during the fight against ISIS, the Americans and the Iranians had, the, had a common enemy. And they fought, uh, you know, not, let's say, not on the same side by side, but with, this, with the common end. 
after ISIS. We're living in this sort of post-ISIS uh, arena, the, the, this region, where now they're sort of turned on each other, and this is the, the latest of this escalation. So both Iran and the U.S. have significant influence across these countries. Um, the U.S. does have troops in uh, Iraq and Syria, and Iran, of course, has, you know, I agree that calling them proxies takes the agency away from these groups, but they are aligned, and, and, and they do work together, and, and, and these are networks that span across Yemen, Lebanon, Syria, and Iraq, um, pursuing, at times, Iran's uh, foreign policy goals. So this is a very dangerous, I think, uh, you know, some are calling it tinderbox right now, where neither the Iranians nor the Americans want an all-out war or a direct conflict, but what we're seeing is this tit-for-tat show of force that's making the region very dangerous. Yeah, Iraq's military spokesperson, or at least the military spokesman for the Prime Minister, said that this U.S. reprisal will have disastrous consequences for the region. What do you mean when you say dangerous, and what do you think he meant by disastrous? Well, again, the, the, there's a certain theater being constructed right now. The Iraqi government is trying to present itself as a sovereign country. But, of course, sovereignty, you know, it, it, it's very difficult to, to, to maintain when you have the Iranians, the, the Turks, the Americans, all constantly violating the, the boundaries of Iraq. So from the Iraqi government's perspective, for its own population, it's trying to say we are sovereign and we, you know, we need to stand up when our territories are being attacked, when groups linked to the government, and keep in mind that groups like Kitab Hezbollah, Harakat al-Nujaba, and these different popular mobilization armed groups um, are connected to the Iraqi government. Um, and, and so it's, it's the prime minister and his spokesperson coming out and presenting the veneer of a sovereign state when the reality is far from. Lawrence Corb, do you want to come back on, on anything that you've heard so far before I put a direct question to you? Yeah, I think it's important to keep in mind that we left Iraq in 2011. In fact, I talked to Maliki about uh, staying. Basically, we came back in 2014 at their invitation because of what ISIS was doing. And basically, that has been our role. <clears throat> uh, before October 7th, we were carrying this out. We were talking to the Iraqis about leaving. Sometimes they say something publicly, but privately, no, they still wanted us to say. But after October 7th, you had over 160 attacks on the American forces there in Iraq and Syria. Fortunately, no one was killed, so our response was not overwhelming or as uh, strong as it has been when the Americans died. And that's where we are right right now. And my experience with the Iraqis, a lot of times they'll say something publicly to appease the Iranians, but then privately they'll say, no, no, we really still want you to stay. What does it mean for the U.S.'s desire to withdraw uh, from Iraq completely? I mean, will it, as Iran's foreign ministry said, lead to the U.S.? actually becoming more, not less, involved in the region? Well, again, a lot depends upon how long we need to uh, go after the groups that were responsible, not only for killing the Americans, but these 160 attacks, and whether Iran will 
try and rein these groups in. You know, Iran has three proxies in the region. They've got the Houthis in Yemen. They've got uh, they've got Hezbollah in uh, Lebanon, and then they've got the uh, these uh, Iraqi uh, groups uh, in uh, in in Iraq. They completely control Hezbollah. The others, they don't have much control, but they have some. And I think this is what we're going to expect, not only in Iraq, but with the uh, Houthis. Mohammed Morandi, U.S. National Security Spokesman John Kirby, said that the, the goal is to get the attacks on U.S. interests to stop. We're not, he said, quote, looking for a war with Iran. Now, no targets were hit within Iran in these retaliatory strikes. How will Iran and its proxies respond? Will it, will it uh, rein these groups in, as uh, Lawrence said the U.S. wants it to? Well, let's be clear. Contrary to what your guest in the United States says, these are not proxies. And the real issue here is the genocide in Gaza. have no doubt about it. And the United States, as we speak, is preparing the Israeli regime for an, an expansion in Lebanon. So in the coming weeks, we may have heavy fighting uh, in southern Lebanon. Uh, the United States is not retaliating in Syria. The United States is an illegal occupation force in Syria. In the Al-Tanf area where it occupies, in fact, there are tribes that were loyal to ISIS. Those tribes are trained by the Americans right now, and they use that area, Al-Tanf, to attack Syrian government forces. And in the, in the last couple of months, they carried out two major attacks, in each case killing between 15 to 20 uh, conscript soldiers on buses, and I think on both occasions. So the United States, its presence in Syria is illegal. It is stealing Syrian oil in the east of the country and exporting it. In Iraq, the United States has bombed Iraqi military positions. It has destroyed Iraqi facilities that were constructed and paid for by the Iraqi government. This is the reality on the ground. Nothing will change that. And I should also add that the United States, after the assassination of the Iraqi commander Abu Mahdi al-Mohandis, alongside General Qasem Soleimani, at the Iraqi International Airport four, over four years ago, the Iraqi parliament demanded that the United States leave, and they never did. They said they'd leave, but the United States has one strong card to play with, and that is that all of Iraqi oil that is sold, the money goes to accounts in the United States. And whenever the Iraqi government goes too far, the Americans start withholding Iraqi funds and creating a crisis in Iraq. So the Americans are like the godfather. They stand back. They pretend they're the good guys. But just like in Gaza, where they are part of the, this genocide, uh, and here they play the same role. Remember, the United States and Iraq, they helped Saddam Hussein. The West gave Saddam Hussein chemical weapons. The U.S. fought alongside Saddam Hussein against Iran in 1988, striking Iranian ships. And then it turned against Iraq. Later on, it invaded Iraq. Who created this mess? It was the United States. Lawrence, do you want to come back on, on that? Well, again, I think it's important to keep in mind that we did leave when the Iraqis asked us to leave. 
Okay, we were willing to leave some troops there, but Maliki said no, so we left completely. We were asked to come back by the Iraqi government. And the other thing I think is important to keep in mind, the Iraqi government publicly will say things to appease Iran, but privately they'll tell us, no, we really still want you to, uh, uh, to stay. So I think it's important to, to, to keep that in mind. And basically we ended up in Syria to fight ISIS, which was going after the Iraqi Kurds. That's why we were, were up there. So this has been our role. And prior to <clears throat> the attack, the uh, October 7th attacks, there was no conflict going on. There was no shelling or anything like that. It was October 7th when Iran, I think, gave the green light to a lot of what they call the Quds Force uh, people in Iraq to attack Americans in Iraq and, and uh, but, Syria. So I think but, but, that that but, is the key thing. But, but Lawrence, I mean, how, how do you answer uh, uh, Professor Mirandi's accusations that, 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 that the U.S. has ultimately caused all, all of this? Um, you know, he, for instance, he was, he was saying that, that the U.S. is in Syria illegally and is stealing its oil. No, wait a second. We're not there illegally. We went there when the Iraqi government asked us to protect the Iraqi Kurds and ISIS went up into Syria. That's where we're there. We're not there. In fact, we've been criticized for not getting involved in the Syrian civil war, which was part of the Arab Spring. Reynard, I know you're waiting patiently, but I'll just throw it, throw it briefly back to, to Mohammed Mirandi just to, just to answer that, and then we'll move on. Look, I gave the evidence... People can go back to the email, Jake Sullivan. They can go to the Defense Intelligence Agency document of 2012. They can go to Michael Flynn's interview on Al Jazeera. They can also go and look at the history of the U.S. stealing oil. They can also go back into 2014 and 2015 when Iraqi oil was being sold by ISIS to neighboring countries and to Arabil as well. And the U.S. Air Force back then was flying over ISIS positions, and they never struck any of those thousands of tankers. It was only when the Russians actually entered, one of the first things that they did was they, they struck those convoys. The history of the United States and ISIS is clear as day. And the United States, its history with Saddam Hussein, being an ally of Saddam Hussein, and with the West giving him chemical weapons, that is clear as day as well. Okay. Right. But the United States always wants to present itself as the protagonist, just like in Gaza. Okay. In Gaza, it's the Palestinians' fault. History began on October the 7th. End of story. That's not going to solve the problem for the United States. The United States is a declining power, and it has to begin to look at reality okay. objectively. Otherwise, right. it will suffer more than anyone else. All right, Reynard, th thanks for, for waiting so patiently. Before, again, I ask you a, a, a specific question, do you, do you just want to, uh, uh, want to come in on, on, on what you've heard here? Yeah, sure. I think the, you know, trying to build a narrative between good guys and bad guys, no matter who is on the good and bad, isn't really helpful to trying to understand what is going on. Of course, both the Iranians and the Americans pursue their interests. They pursue 
politically, economically, militarily, how they could maintain as much influence as possible in the, in, in the, in the region. Mm. Now, what's become clear is that the Americans have had more of an incoherence to their foreign policy, withdrawing at times, coming back in, really being unable to maintain strong influence. And, and if you look at the other side, the Iranians have. The Iranians have built strong networks of, of allies, armed groups across the region with a plan in sight, not a plan for just today and tomorrow, but a plan for, you know, decades in advance. And that's the strategic difference. The, the Biden administration right now, you know, before October 7th, was withdrawing from Iraq. There was the joint cooperation, the, you know, dialogue, security dialogue, in which the, the Biden administration was basically saying, we are withdrawing our, our troops, and this is what we want. And, and, and the Iraqi government was, was on the same page. So there was a process, a roadmap. Now, of course, October 7th has, had, you know, has complicated that because of Israel bombardment of, of Gaza and, and, and also attacks against, you know, against Americans in, in, in Iraq and Syria, as we've seen, including the death. It's hard for the Biden administration now to be seen as withdrawing, especially in light of what happened in Afghanistan. Mm. The Biden administration doesn't want to leave looking like it's running away or that it looks appears weak. So that's where we're stuck right now. It's very okay. clear that both Americans and the Iraqi government want the want the withdrawal, but how do you how you construct that theater is is, is the challenge. And, and Renard, as far as the strikes themselves are, are concerned, what are we to make of the, the scale and scope of them? Were you surprised at, at how far they went, and and will they, uh, as National Security Spokesman John Kirby uh, is hoping, uh, get the attacks against U.S. interests in the region to stop? Well, first of all, I mean, there have been attacks against Kitab Hezbollah and, and other of these armed groups, these Iran-allied groups in Iraq and Syria for many years. Um, you know, places like Al-Qa'im, which was hit quite heavily, have has constantly been, been hit over the years. So I wasn't surprised as such by, by, by these hits. You know, Abu Mahdi al-Muhandis, who was killed uh, alongside Qasem Soleimani by the Americans, you know, in January 2020, was the head of Kitab Hezbollah and, and many of these groups. I think what's become clear is as a response, you could attack, you could kill their leaders, you could continue to, to attack their economic interests, you can sanction them, but this isn't working. These groups are surviving and, and, and they're more influential. So there's just a fundamental predicament that the Americans have, and that is that their policy tool, whether it's attacking, whether it's sanctioning, isn't working to advance American interests. Lawrence Corp, to what extent did President Biden have to act and, and order these strikes. He, he was in a pretty impossible position, wasn't he, but needed to tread a fine line between deterrence, as, as the U.S. sees it, and escalation. Well, there's no doubt about it. He had to do something, both, I think, strategically and politically, because he's up for re-election, and the Republicans have criticized him for just leaving our troops in there, in their view, defenseless. So I think his first response was very, very well planned. Okay, Unfortunately, some people were killed, about 37 in the two places, but they attacked the infrastructure of the forces there, about 85 of the targets so far, and this will make it more difficult 
for them to continue attacking the American uh, the American uh, uh, forces. So I think it's been measured. What I think was really significant is the fact that we used B-1 bombers that flew all the way from the United States because these are nuclear capable. Now, they weren't taking nuclear bombs, but they can really uh, unleash devastating consequences, much more than a, a fighter aircraft that you might have on an aircraft carrier. And the other thing is, I think we're basically working with the Iranians to ensure this doesn't get out of hand. Remember, we alerted the Iranians that ISIS was going to attack them about a month ago. We told them, because that's why we're there. Remember, ISIS is the one who attacked us on 9-11. So we have been concerned about it. We okay. were not involved in this. No, 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 no. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I was, I was just coming towards the end, end of your point here. But, but Mohammed Marandi is, I could see him smiling and shaking his head here. <laughs> and, 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 and he wants to, wants to get in. Go, go ahead, Mohammed. <laughs> yes, the Americans did not give any intelligence about the bomb attack. Uh, that is just a, a fable. Uh, but uh, at the end of the day, the facts remain the facts. The United States occupation in Syria and Iraq are illegal. Contrary to what your good guest in London believes, the United States had, has no plans to leave Syria or Iraq, and the United States has been dragging its feet as much as possible, and it will do so unless forced to leave. But what the United States did last night is not going to change anything. They, most of the people that they killed were innocent people. They bombed a bakery. They bombed a gas, gas station. They bombed a recreational park. And they killed a few Syrians and a few Iraqis. They didn't touch Iranians. And they bombed the same place that they've been bombing for many years. They bombed, as your guest in London pointed out, they bombed these areas in the past. And it is interesting that as soon as the Americans carried out these airstrikes, ISIS attacked these bases in four different areas. Why is that the case? Because the United States has been working with the tribes that were with ISIS before. And Al-Tanf is a center for that. So ultimately, if the United States wants to continue down this road, it can. Right. It can kill more people. It yep. can create more misery. But okay. this is going to get worse. And the United States ultimately, just as it failed in Iraq and Afghanistan and Libya and Yemen and elsewhere, it's going to fail here as well. Okay, we're rapidly running out of time. Renata, I will come back to you. You can have the final word. But first, I've got to let Lawrence respond to what he's just heard. Well, again, I think it's important to keep in mind, we wanted to get out of Iraq. It was a mistake for us to invade, and it cost us much more than we thought. We were asked to go back. I can't emphasize that too much because... President Obama was trying to get out of uh, that, that area. He campaigned on it. We were asked to go back. That's why we went back. And we have back-channel communications with Iran all of the time. And as I say, again, I have very good information that we warned Iran about the ISIS attack because that's who we're fighting. And previous to October 7th, all of these years, since uh, 2014 to 10 years, our forces weren't attacked. It was only after October 7th that they were attacked, hoping that would get us to put pressure on, uh, on Israel. And okay. by the way, we are putting pressure on Israel. Okay. 
All right, um, um, Renat, we're almost out of, out of time. Um, please briefly come in on, on what you've just said. I wanted to ask you about, about what we're to make of U.S. policy in the region concerning these groups. Is there a coherent U.S. policy? I think one of the challenges for the, for the U.S. isn't incoherence in, in, in the policy. It's a sort of one foot in, one foot out approach, um, which isn't working. As I say, the Americans have killed very senior armed leaders in, in Iraq, Syria over the years. They've sanctioned many of these groups. All the policy tools that the U.S. have to try and uh, you know, fight, battle these groups to try and maintain their own influence aren't working. And that's why we're in the reality that we are today, which, which is an, an arena and a region where the Americans' influence is, is, is waning. And, you know, 20 years, 21 years on since 2003, um, the U.S. is, is, is losing its, it's increasingly losing its leverage. There, I'm afraid, gentlemen, we must leave it. Many thanks indeed to you all for being with us. Mohamed Morandi, uh, Renard Mansour, and Lawrence Korb. And as always, thank you too for watching. You can see the program again at any time by going to the website at aljazeera.com. For further discussion, join us on our Facebook page. You'll find that at facebook.com forward slash AJ Inside Story. And of course, you can join the conversation on X. Our handle there at AJ Inside Story from me, Adrian Finnegan, and the team here in Doha. We'll see you again. Bye for now. Welcome back. And that was a discussion. Make sure to subscribe to our channel to get the latest news from Al Jazeera. Uh, that was a discussion on uh, the situation in West Asia uh, with the escalation of uh, U.S. aggression under uh, the Joe Biden White House, uh, where Syria, Iraq, and Yemen are being bombed uh, on a regular basis, uh, where uh, forces are being attacked, uh, Yemeni resistance uh, forces are being attacked also uh, in the Red Sea off their coast uh, by U.S. imperialism and the United Kingdom. You're listening to the Pan-African Journal, worldwide radio broadcast uh, for this Saturday, February 3rd, 2024, and we're broadcasting from our studios in uh, downtown Detroit. Uh, we'll take a break. We'll be back with more of our program for this week.
Aujourd'hui, la science sait de façon sûre que l'humanité a pris naissance en Afrique, sous la latitude du Kenya, dans cette région qui est à cheval sur le Kenya, l'Éthiopie et la Tanzanie. We are able to say scientifically, scientifically today, to say with certainty that mankind was born in Africa, on the latitude more or less of, of Kenya, and that area which comprises Kenya, Ethiopia, Ethiopia and Tanzania. Et qui va même jusqu'en Afrique du Sud, and qui va un axe nord-sud. And going on a north-south axis all the way south to South Africa. Or, une humanité qui est née sous une telle latitude au niveau de l'équateur n'aurait pas pu survivre 
si elle n'était pas pigmentée noire dès son apparition. So it's clear that any humanity that had its birth in that region could not have survived in an equatorial region without pigmentation. La nature ne crée rien au hasard et elle a protégé l'humanité qui est née sous l'équateur en Afrique par un écran de mélanine. C'est ce qui fait que les premiers hommes étaient nécessairement noirs tant qu'ils n'étaient pas encore sortis de l'Afrique. Nature doesn't do anything by, by chance and it's for that reason that humanity, mankind that was born in a sub-equatorial region was given melanin to protect its skin and it's for that reason that it is clear, it is certain that first man had to be a black man. C'est seulement quand cette humanité va sortir de l'Afrique pour aller peupler le reste de la terre qu'elle va changer d'aspect suivant les régions géographiques et que les autres races vont apparaître. It is only after that race left Africa to people other parts of the world that had different climatic, uh, different climatic um, uh, phenomena that, that that man changed and became and took on different aspects, a different, had a different look. Ces premiers hommes euh, comprenaient en réalité six spécimens. L'humanité, la nature a créé six spécimens d'hommes avant d'arriver à l'homme que nous sommes aujourd'hui. Nature created six specimens of, of man before we got to man as we know him today. Les trois premiers spécimens, je n'ai pas besoin de les nommer, n'ont pas atteint, dans l'état actuel de la recherche scientifique, un potentiel d'expansion leur permettant de sortir de l'Afrique. Donc, ils n'ont jamais été hors d'Afrique dans l'état actuel des recherches. According to the scientific information that we have now, it appears that the first three of these species, which is not necessary to name, never acquired the potential or never arrived at the potential for exporting or leaving their own area. No, n'ont jamais atteint un potentiel d'expansion pour sortir de l'Afrique. They never, they never had a, the potential to expand and to leave Africa. Yes. Les trois autres sont sortis de l'Afrique. Three others did leave Africa. Les, le quatrième et le cinquième ont disparu. The fourth and the fifth of these species disappeared. Il ne reste que le sixième qui est l'homme que nous sommes. And what, is, what remains is man as we know him, that sixth species. Le cinquième, le, le cinquième c'est celui-là que j'ai projeté ici, vous le voyez. Cet homme ressemble beaucoup à l'homme actuel, mais il n'est pas encore arrivé au stade de l'homme actuel. C'est le cinquième? C'est le cinquième. This is the fifth of these species, which as you will see, resembles very much man as we know him today. Mais il n'était pas encore très différencié. He was not yet very, but man as we know him today was not differentiated a great deal from this man. Si vous le regardez, vous verrez que la différence qui le sépare de l'homme que nous sommes, c'est qu'il n'a pas de front. Vous voyez, les yeux sont presque à la place du front. You will see that the difference, the major difference here is that the fifth species did not have a forehead. You'll see that the eyes are situated very close to the top of the head. C'est très important ce détail, il faut le remarquer, il n'a pas de front. Donc il n'a pas 
son cerveau antérieur est très différent du cerveau antérieur de l'homme actuel. Si vous le regardez, c'est comme s'il avait les yeux ici. It's oui. very important. This is a very important detail. It means that the brain inside was very different from the brain inside of man as we know him today. Et quand on étudie son cerveau, quand on étudie l'anatomie de son cerveau, on voit qu'il n'a pas cette partie-là, ce cerveau antérieur. And studying his brain, le, ce qu'on appelle le lobe antérieur du cerveau, il ne l'a pas. He does not have the anterior lobe of the brain. In studying, in anatomical studies, it, it is it has been determined that he did not have this anterior lobe. C'est la grande différence entre lui et l'homo sapiens sapiens que nous sommes. That is the major difference, the fundamental difference between Homo sapiens sapiens, which is what we are. Et ce spécimen n'a jamais pu sublimer la nature pour créer l'œuvre d'art. This species was never able to overcome nature to an extent that he was able to create works of art. Ensuite, euh, je passe au suivant. In this next slide. Là, nous arrivons à l'homme comme vous et moi. C'est l'homme du milieu. And now we have the, the man in the middle is the man that we are. C'est le crâne du milieu. C'était un noir. C'est l'homme que nous appelons dans la littérature, euh, si vous voulez, préhistorique, l'homme de Grimaldi. This was a black man. This skull is that of a black man, which we call in prehistoric history the Grimaldi man. On sait que c'était un homme de morphologie noire. Quand, quand on voit sa morphologie, on voit que c'était un noir. Vous voyez bien, la forme du visage est très typique. Et nous l'avons comparé avec un crâne d'Africain d'aujourd'hui. Le crâne de gauche, c'est un crâne de Malien que nous avons dans notre collection à Dakar, à Lifan. Et le crâne de droite, c'est le premier homme blanc qui apparaît sur la Terre à la suite de la transformation de l'homme du milieu. The, you can see in looking at the skull in the middle that the morphology of this skull is very much that of black. That is the, uh, the skull of a modern man. To the left of it, we have the um, skull of modern African man. It is one of those that is in our collection at the University of Dakar. L'homme qui est à droite maintenant, in, eh, on ne le verra qu'il va... L'homme qui est au milieu est entré en Europe il y a 40 000 ans. 40... 40,000 years ago, the man in the middle left Africa and went to Europe. Il va vivre en Europe de moins 40 000 ans à moins 20 000 ans. Et c'est pendant cette période d'adaptation à un climat extrêmement froid qui est très différent du climat actuel. Parce que c'est pendant la dernière glaciation que la Terre a connue et qui a duré 100 000 ans. That man, that is, he Il va donner naissance. Donc, par mutation et adaptation, au, tro au troisième crâne de droite, qui est l'homme de Cro-Magnon. The, the skull at the extreme right of the screen is that of Cro-Magnon man. It was between 40 and 20,000 years ago that the man in the middle left Africa to go into Europe at a time during what is called the final or the last glaciation. The climate in Europe was extremely cold. It was much colder than it is now. And during this period of some 20,000 years, he underwent the adaptation to become what we know as white men. 
Donc, c'est bel et bien, euh, si on s'en tient sans préjugés, aux données rigoureusement scientifiques, nous sommes bien obligés d'affirmer en toute sérénité que c'est l'adaptation du grimaldien à ce climat froid qui a donné naissance finalement au type qu'on appelle conventionnellement maintenant le type leucoderme ou l'homme blanc. Le blanc est sorti du noir à la suite d'un processus d'adaptation à un climat froid. Et cela, tous les spécialistes aujourd'hui le savent dans leur fort intérieur, même s'ils ne le disent pas avec autant de netteté. It is very clear to all of the scientists involved in this field, even if they are only able to say it in their, within themselves and unable to say it publicly, that the man that we know conventionally to be a white man evolved from a black man over a period of some 20,000 years of adaptation to a different climate. And if we are to say with any serenity, resting totally on scientific data, donc, nous voyons bien que l'humanité, en sortant de l'Afrique et en s'adaptant aux différents climats de la Terre, a donné naissance aux différentes races. Voilà comment les races sont nées. Donc, la race est une notion géographique. Si le premier homme que vous voyez au milieu n'était jamais sorti de l'Afrique, il n'y aurait pas eu de différenciation raciale. L'humanité serait homogène et noire. If the man that we see in the middle there had never left Africa to people other parts of the world, and if those people in other parts of the world in different climates had not through the process of adaptation become what they are in various regions of the world, all man would be homogeneous. And all men would be black. Euh, le reste de la terre n'aurait pas été peuplé, serait désert. Et il y aurait eu une seule humanité noire en Af cantonnée en Afrique. If Et le reste man, de la terre ne serait pas habité. If that man had not left Africa, the rest of the world would have remained a desert, would never have been peopled. Yeah. Donc, voilà. Vous voyez donc que j'ai répondu à la question que vous m'avez posée. En demandant où se situe le noir dans l'évolution de l'espèce humaine, je vous réponds qu'en toute rigueur scientifique, le premier homme de la Terre était un noir qui va se différencier pour donner naissance aux autres races. Voilà la conclusion à cette première question. Et donc, pour répondre précisément à votre première question, qui est, ou était, to what extent, ou in what way does do blacks figure in the origin of man? The answer is, the first man was black, and it was he who gave birth to other races of the world. You have knocked out my first five questions. Vous avez annulé la nécessité de poser les cinq premières questions. Il faut les poser parce que j'avais des choses, j'avais noté mentalement des choses auxquelles je voudrais répondre. Même poser-les rapidement. You must, you must still ask them, even if you do it quickly, because he has reserved other information in response to them. Why was it not possible for mankind to have been born in many parts of the earth? Pourquoi n'était-il pas possible que man soit né dans quelques centres dans le monde? Justement, 
quand les études de, euh, de paléontologie humaine n'étaient pas encore assez avancées, il y avait deux théories qui s'affrontaient. When human anthropology had not quite evolved to the extent that it has now, there were two theories that kept confronting one another. La théorie selon laquelle l'homme est né en un seul endroit et s'est différencié pour donner naissance aux autres races, celle que je viens d'exposer, avait ses défenseurs. There was the theory that he has just explained that man was born in one place and became different as he popped people other parts of the world that theory had its defenders il y avait une autre cette première théorie c'est celle qu'on appelait qu'on appelle toujours la théorie du monogénétisme c'est-à-dire d'une seule origine de l'espèce humaine this is called a monogenetic theory mm. that is that there was one source for mankind il y a l'autre théorie maintenant comme proposée qui est voulait que certaines conditions étant réalisées, qu'il ait existé un homme né en Afrique, un autre homme né en Europe, un homme né en Asie. Donc, l'homme aurait connu l'apparition de l'humanité, euh, serait le résultat, si vous voulez, de, de plusieurs centres. L'homme, l'origine de l'humanité aurait connu plusieurs centres. Et on appelait cette théorie la théorie du polycentrisme, ou du polygénétisme. The second theory is that of, uh, is a polygenetic theory which believes or contends that man was born in Africa and also in Europe and also in Asia. In other words, that there were several, several uh, locations in the world where, where man finds his origin. And it is that that explains their differences. Alors, cette théorie hein, était même la théorie du sens commun. Je ne dis pas du bon sens, mais du sens commun. C'est-à-dire, il paraissait a priori, au premier abord, plus normal qu'il ait existé un homme au niveau de chaque continent. Of the world with different, with different characteristics. Mais lorsqu'on y regarde de près, il y a deux faits qui sont venus infirmer cette théorie. But there, when it, under closer scrutiny, it was very, there were two things that made this theory fall apart more or less. D'abord, la nature ne passe jamais deux fois par le même point dans son évolution. The first is that nature never strikes twice in its evolution. It doesn't ever hit the same place two times. Nature doesn't create twice the same thing. In the animal kingdom... Uh, the same being. The same being. The, in the animal kingdom, you can see that, that throughout the evolution of, of animals, a, a, a being was created and it either disappeared or changed somewhat or a new being completely was, was created, but never the same being twice. And to remain strictly scientific, it doesn't make common sense to say that man was created twice. Uh, D'autre part, la recherche préhistorique a prouvé maintenant que c'est la thèse qui paraissait la plus invraisemblable qui a triomphé maintenant au niveau de tous les scientifiques. Tous les hommes maintenant savent de façon certaine 
que l'homme a une seule origine. C'est dans cette même région du Kenya. Parce que c'est là que nous trouvons, si vous voulez, toutes les stades antérieurs. Tous les stades antérieurs. It is in this region, that is this region in Kenya, where we find all of the most ancient uh, evolutionary information. Um, it's, and it's for this reason that scientists are now able to say, with certainty, it's with certainty that they, at least they know that this is that this is the case that man could only have been created one time. Tous les fossiles que nous trouvons à l'extérieur de l'Afrique. En dernière analyse, apparaissent toujours comme des fossiles plus récents que ceux trouvés en Afrique et qui leur correspondent. All fossils that have been found outside of Africa have been found under close uh, an analysis to be much more recent than those found in Africa. Et aucun autre continent que l'Afrique ne possède la série complète des six spécimens dont je vous ai parlé. And no other continent in the world has the complete series of fossils indicating the six specimens that I spoke of before. Je vous ai dit que les trois premiers ne sont jamais sortis de l'Afrique. Ça veut dire que ni en Europe, ni en Asie, encore moins en Amérique, on ne trouve ces trois premiers spécimens. So Ce sont le début de l'humanité. These three specimens which represent the very beginnings of mankind cannot be found in Europe, they cannot be found in Asia, and of course cannot be found in America. They never left Africa. The complete set remains in Africa. Donc, euh, autant de preuves accumulées qui aujourd'hui donnent la certitude que l'homme est né en Afrique. The accumulation then of the best information now makes it very clear that man had his origins in Africa. Euh, ici en Amérique, vous n'avez que le spécimen sapiens sapiens. On n'a pas trouvé dans l'état actuel de la science, sur toute l'étendue de l'Amérique, depuis la terre de feu jusqu'en Alaska, il n'y a qu'un homme moderne. Et l'Amérique a été peuplée par le détroit de Bering à la fin de la dernière glaciation dont j'ai parlé. Donc, il n'existe qu'un seul spécimen, le dernier ici en Amérique. The only specimen, as we've seen in the, on the slide, that, that appears in America is that of Homo sapiens sapiens. America was peopled through the Bering Straits at the end of the final glaciation and it is for that reason that we find only Homo sapiens sapiens in America. In Asia, we have Homo erectus. In Asia, we have Homo erectus. And the Neanderthal man and Homo sapiens. In Europe, également, on a l'homo erectus, l'homme de Neanderthal et l'homo sapiens. In Europe, we have the same, homo erectus, Neanderthal and homo sapiens. Et tous sont sortis de l'Afrique. Euh, les uns pour passer, sont passés par l'isthme de, de Suez pour aller vers le sud-est asiatique. Et les autres sont passés par le détroit de Gibraltar pour aller à travers l'Espagne, dans le midi de la France. Et à partir de là, ils ont irradié jusqu'au lac Baïkal, en Extrême-Orient. The, some of them left by the, the Suez, the, the Suez Canal or the Isthmus of Suez to go into, the, into Asia and, and Eastern Europe and some went by the Straits of Gibraltar up into the north and into, into Europe. Le polycentrisme est une théorie qui voulait absolument établir la hiérarchisation des races, qui voulait démontrer 
que l'église des races inférieures et des races supérieures. This polycentric theory is to that theory it is essential or it makes the, it makes the effort to establish a hierarchy of races that, and to indicate that some races are inferior to others. En effet, si les trois races de l'humanité avaient des origines différentes, on aurait pu supposer que pour une raison ou une autre, il y a une hiérarchisation des, des capacités intellectuelles. But if Parce qu'ils n'auraient pas eu le même héritage. But if man had, has the same origin, then of course there cannot be no, there, there can be no, no intellectual hierarchy because all of the races of the world, the three races of the world, would have had the same intellectual history. Est-ce que j'ai bien traduit ça? Euh, je répète. Euh, j'ai dit que si les trois races avaient des origines différentes, euh, on aurait pu supposer qu'elles puissent avoir des capacités intellectuelles différentes. Et donc défendre l'idée de l'inégalité des races. C'est clair? If the three races had had different origins, then one could say that they had different intellectual capacities, mm -hmm. having had a different intellectual history. Mm -hmm. Donc, et on aurait pu défendre l'inégalité des races. Cette théorie, donc, est pour euh, la défense de l'inégalité des races, la that théorie du polycentrisme. The polycentric theory, then, is essential to defending the notion that there are inequalities between the races. C'est pour ça qu'elle a eu des défenseurs très acharnés. It's for this reason they've had people to, that it has been defended by, so rigorously by, or vigorously by people. Mais la science l'a définitivement écartée. But science has, without question, set it aside. Euh, donc, euh, la théorie monogénétique, elle, montre que puisque la souche humaine est commune, que toute l'espèce humaine a les mêmes capacités intellectuelles, so qu'elles soient noires, blanches ou jaunes. So Je ne suis pas en train de montrer, par exemple, que le blanc est supérieur au noir. Ce ne serait pas que le noir est supérieur au blanc. Ce serait faux. It's the monogenetic theory then that that poses a, or will support the notion that that because our origins are the same, we have the same intellectual capacities. I am not hoping to say, by saying that, however, that blacks are superior to whites, that would also be false. Donc, aucune race n'est supérieure à l'autre. No race is superior to any other. Toutes les races ont les mêmes capacités intellectuelles. All races have the same intellectual capacities. Justement, le lobe anterior du cerveau dont je vous ai parlé est le même pour toutes les races. The anterior lobe that I showed in the slide earlier is exactly the same for all the races. On a fait des travaux extrêmement poussés ici en Amérique, en Europe et partout sur l'anatomie du cerveau. The studies of the anatomy of the, of the brain have been, have been numerous and very extensive here in this country, in Africa and, and everywhere in the world. In, in, en Europe. And in Europe. Oui. Mm -hmm. Et on n'a jamais trouvé de différence hein, significative permettant une hiérarchisation raciale surtout au niveau de l'anatomie du cerveau antérieur dont je vous ai parlé. And no, in no way has, has a difference significant, has any significant difference been found to indicate that there is some 
anatomical difference in the brains of the various races um, and, and certainly not in the and certainly not in the case of the the fore part of the forefront of the brain donc tous les biologistes savent ce que je dis en ce moment toutes ces analyses les résultats de ces analyses sont concluants et tous ceux qui s'occupent justement euh, de biologie hein, humaine savent tout ce que je vous ai dit aujourd'hui sur okay. ce point-là. Cette question-là aussi, au niveau de tous les scientifiques sereins, objectifs, est une question qui est acquise. Que les, les races ont les mêmes capacités intellectuelles. Mais il peut y avoir, l'une peut être momentanément dominée par l'autre, c'est tout. Dans l'Antiquité, les Noirs ont dominé les Blancs, comme nous allons le voir tout à l'heure. Par la suite, les Noirs, les Blancs ont pris le dessus, comme aujourd'hui. All biologists and those scientists who are aware of this information know that there is no longer any question as to whether there is a superiority among the races. It is, it is however, possible that one race or another can dominate temporarily um, another race or other races. In antiquity, it was blacks who dominated, and that is perhaps not the case now. No. You have spent much of your life studying the history of Egypt. Who were the ancient Egyptians? How did they look? Ici, uh, cette reproduction est importante. Hmm? This is a very important reproduction. Uh, C'est dans le tombeau de Ramsès III. This is found in the tomb of Ramses III. Vingtième dynastie. The 20th dynasty. Vous avez le personnage de gauche. The person on the left. C'est le type général, donc euh, représenté par l'artiste égyptien lui-même. This is the general type represented by the Egyptian artist himself. Le second, c'est le type général de tous les de, de, des Européens de la race, si vous voulez. De tous les occidentaux. And uh, the second person or personage is the general type of all the Europeans yes. represented yes. by the artist. Le troisième, c'est le type général de tous les autres noirs de l'intérieur du continent. And the third personage is uh, the general type representing all the other groups found at the, in the interior of the continent. Of the Africa. Of the, the continent of Africa.
You're listening to a rare archival audio file of this interview uh, with uh, Dr. Sheik. I'm joking about how it's going to go on when you ask him what he Worldwide Radio Broadcast uh, for Saturday, February 3rd, uh, 2024, and we're broadcasting from our studios uh, in uh, downtown Detroit. Good evening and welcome to the final part of our interview with one of the leading international scholars in the fields of anthropology and Egyptology, Dr. Sheikh Anta Diop. Dr. Diop, a nuclear physicist, is director of the Radiocarbon Laboratory at the University of Dakar in Senegal. In this segment, Dr. Diop discusses a scheme designed to, well, let's take a look. This is a picture of the Piltdown Man, and it is to demonstrate to you the lengths to which certain anthropologists have gone to establish their theories. The Piltdown Man was created by a British anthropologist in 1912, by the name of? Uh, Downson, a ge geologue, geologue. A geologist, I'm sorry. He was a geologist, Mr. Downson. Il a fabriqué de toutes pièces ce, ce, ce fossile qui est faux. He fabricated by piece by piece this fake fossil. Uh, il l'a enfoui dans les sables du Sussex en Angleterre. He dug in the, in the dirt in Sussex in English, in England. Yeah. Uh, vous voyez bien, regardez bien, vous verrez qu'il a le front haut comme un homme moderne. Il est comme nous, il a les yeux et un grand front. Like, like modern man, he has, the, he has eyes and he has the forehead as we do, as modern man does. Mais vous voyez, regardez sa mâchoire, sa But mâchoire est, un, est une mâchoire de singe, durant autant, avec les deux canines. Regardez les deux canines, c'est une mâchoire de singe. You can see that, that his mandible, I think it's called, yes. is that of a monkey. Yes. Uh, And his canines yes. are that of a, of a monkey. C'est en 1900, justement, cet homme, ce, ce, ce spécimen qui, qui est un faux, avait donné naissance dans le domaine de l'anthropologie physique à la théorie des pré-sapiens. C'était pour démontrer que l'homo sapiens est né en Angleterre. From this fabrication, grew a, a theory called the pre-sapiens theory, mm -hmm. uh, which was, was manufactured to establish that this man was the predecessor of modern man. And that, in fact, man had his origins or was born in Europe. And especially in, in England. Et vous avez ici des défenseurs, de, je ne sais pas si je peux les citer, mais il y a des anthropologues américains euh, qui ont épousé cette thèse-là et nous savons aujourd'hui qu'elle est fausse. And there are American anthropologists which, who, who took this theory as their own and, to, and defended it and we know today that it is false. Euh, en France aussi, il y a eu des anthropologues qui l'ont défendu et nous savons qu'elle est fausse aujourd'hui. And in France also there were anthropologists who defended the theory and of course we now know Alors, that it was false. Alors, et comment avez-vous appris qu'elle est fausse C'est parce qu'il mm -hmm. y a un autre savant anglais de bonne foi cette fois-ci qui l'a analysé et qui a démontré sa fausseté. And we know that it is false, or we learned that it was false by another anthropologist, English anthropologist, who analyzed it and discovered that it was in fact c'est le professeur Oakley, qui, professeur Oakley. Est, qui travaille au British Museum 
et qui a démontré la fausseté de ce spécimen en 1954. Mais vous voyez, pendant près de 50 ans, le mal était déjà fait parce que la communauté scientifique était divisée en deux courants. Un courant défendant la théorie monogénétique et un courant défendant la théorie polygénétique appuyée spécialement sur ce spécimen. Donc nous voyons quand même qu'il y a des savants de bonne foi et leur action comprend justement celle des autres. Et quand nous les rencontrons aussi, il nous faut les saluer au passage. C'est le cas du savant Oclet dont je viens de vous parler. So we must give credit to those, to those um, anthropologists or those scientists who, who are working with a clear head and a clear, clear idea or objective uh, spirit. And we must note them as we go along, as, as we must note uh, Professor Oakley in this case. You have spent much of your life studying the history of the ancient Egyptians. Who were the ancient Egyptians? How did they look? Voilà, les Égyptiens anciens ressemblaient à cette terre que vous voyez. Voici le premier roi de la terre. Here you have the first king of the earth. The very first. And the Egyptians, the ancient Egyptians, looked like this man. Cet homme a des traits, si vous voulez, plus, comme nous disons, vous m'aviez dit tout à l'heure de ne pas employer un terme, mais sur le plan scientifique, c'est un terme consacré en ça, il a des traits de la race noire plus marqués que celle de presque tous ceux qui sont ici dans cette salle. You can see that he has those traits that are associated with the black features, those features associated with the black race, which are even more pronounced than many of the people here. It was this man who unified the Nile Valley from upper to lower Egypt, and this was 3,300 years before Jesus Christ. Yes. Je passe donc ce que je vais dire avant de passer au suivant, c'est que vous allez le voir donc déjà d'après ces traits. Et les traits aussi des pharaons qui vont suivre. You can see by his features and those of the pharaohs and kings that, that will follow it. Que les anciens Égyptiens n'étaient pas des blancs qui se seraient qui seraient devenus progressivement noirs et en perdant leurs traits. You can see that they were not of people that were started as whites and became progressively more black. Mais que au départ c'était des noirs authentiques qui, à la basse époque, vont se métisser avec des blancs. They were instead black people, an authentic black people, but which never ceased to be black. Donc, attendez, okay. je dis en un mot. Donc, vous voyez que les anciens Égyptiens étaient des Noirs comme euh, tous les autres naturels de l'Afrique, c'est tout. You can see that the, the first uh, men, the first the Egyptians were black men, like black men that you see in Africa now. Ici, 
cette reproduction est importante. This is a very important reproduction. Ce sont, c'est dans le tombeau de Ramsès III. This is found in the tomb of Ramses III. 20e dynasty. The 20th dynasty. Vous avez le personnage de gauche. That person on the left. C'est le type général, donc représenté par l'artiste égyptien lui-même. This is the general type represented by the Egyptian artist himself. Le second, c'est le type général de tous les de, de, des Européens de la race, si vous voulez, de tous les Occidentaux. And the, the second person or personage is the general type of all the Europeans yes. represented yes. by the artist. Le troisième, c'est le type général de tous les autres Noirs de l'intérieur du continent. And the third personage is uh, the general type representing all the other groups found at the, in the interior of the continent. Of the Africa. Of the, the continent of Africa. Oui. Le quatrième, c'est le type général de tous les Semites habitant l'Asie. The fourth personage is the general type of all of the Semites living in that area of, of Asia. Ceci est un tableau ethnographique. Voilà les, les races qui existaient à l'époque, telles que les Égyptiens les ont connues, vues et représentées. This is uh, uh, the different races. The different races uh, uh, represented by the artist, and these are the races that existed in his time as uh, he saw them. Nous sommes à 1200 avant Jésus-Christ. We are 1,200 years before Jesus Christ. Yeah. Donc, vous voyez que les Égyptiens ne se sont jamais confondus avec les Européens. So the, à, oui. the Egyptians were never confused with the Europeans. Ni avec les Semites. Nor with the Semites. Et qu'ils ne se sont jamais différenciés sur le plan de la couleur n'est-ce pas, sur le plan ethnique des Africains. And they never became different from, on, the, on an ethnic plane, from the other Africans. Regardez, ces reproductions sont assez significatives à ce point de vue. So this is a, fairly significant from this point of view. Or, cette image, c'est la première fois, depuis que Lepsis, c'est un relevé d'un savant allemand qui s'appelle Lepsis. Mm -hmm. This was discovered by a uh, German scientist who is called Lepsis. Et vous ne l'avez jamais vu reproduit dans un autre ouvrage avant cette projection. And before this you have not seen this reproduced in any other in other, any other form dans or, un work, livre, dans or any livre. other work. Uh, vous voyez donc que c'est de cette manière que la science n'est-ce pas s'est écartée petit à petit de la réalité et de la vérité historique en ce qui concerne l'Égypte. And so you can see how history departed little by little from the reality. How did ancient writers describe the ancient Egyptians? Tous les écrivains grecs et même romains de l'Antiquité ont déposé dans le même sens pour nous affirmer que les anciens Égyptiens de leur époque Pourtant, qui était déjà très métissé, était des Noirs. All of the writers of ancient Greek and ancient Rome agreed yes, that the Egyptians of their 
ethic of their time were in fact black. Or, cette Egypte là, c'est l'Egypte de la fin. Donc, de la fin donc de l'histoire égyptienne. But these were the Egyptians of the end of the, the great e Egyptian civilization. Jésus-Christ, ça fait donc une période de 900 ans. For a period of some 900 years, beginning at the 4th century before Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ and going to the 5th century after, the Greeks were constantly witnessing to the fact that the Egyptians were black. Donc, les Égyptiens sont considérés comme des Noirs depuis l'origine jusqu'à la fin de leur histoire. So, they would be considered black from their origins, from their beginnings, all the way to the end of their civilization, voilà. as is indicated by the First king, the slide which we saw. Voilà. Alors les autres, je vous les montre rapidement. Je passe rapidement là-dessus. I will show you quickly the, the others. Ici, vous avez Djoser, troisième dynastie, you 2778 have... avant Jésus-Christ. This is the third dynasty of the Egyptian civilization here. Euh, disons euh, 2800. 2800 BC. Avec tous les éléments technologiques de la civilisation égyptienne étaient déjà en place. Tout ce que nous admirons en Égypte, sous ce pharaon noir, existait déjà. Troisième dynastie Troisième dynastie, avant les pyramides donc. La seconde, ça va être celle des pyramides. Okay. Eh bien, avec Djoser, tous les éléments de la civilisation égyptienne étaient déjà en place. With this king, in the third dynasty, all the things that we admire the Egyptians for were already in place. Nous verrons que c'est sous son règne que l'architecture en pierre de taille va être inaugurée, la grande architecture égyptienne. The great Egyptian architecture was evolved under his, his reign. Euh, 2300 ans avant la naissance de l'architecture en Grèce. 2300 ans avant la naissance de l'architecture en Grèce. Et aussi 2000 ans même. Avant la naissance, euh, on peut dire qu'à cette époque-là, les Grecs n'existaient même pas encore dans l'histoire. You can say, it can be said that at that point, the Greeks didn't even exist in history. Yeah. Mm -hmm. euh, la mathématique, la médecine, medicine. tout était déjà présent sous ce pharaon. Everything was already in place during his reign. Donc, la civilisation égyptienne dont nous parlons est née, n'est-ce pas sous le règne de ces pharaons typiquement africains. And so, civilization, or Egyptian civilization as we know it, was born under the reign of these pharaohs. Ici, vous avez le Sphinx. This is the Sphinx. Mm. Lors de la mission française euh, qui accompagnait le Napoléon, euh, quand Napoléon est allé en Égypte, il était accompagné d'une mission de savants. Ce sont des Français qui sont comme ça sur le Sphinx, qui font des mesures. These are uh, Frenchmen who uh, were part of a, on top of the Sphinx. They are measuring there on top of the Sphinx. They were part of a, a mission that accompanied Napoleon. Au 19e siècle. In the 19th century. Vous voyez que le profil du Sphinx à cette époque-là était encore plus typiquement africain que maintenant. You see that the profile of the Sphinx at that time was even, was more authentically African than it is now. 
depuis l'érosion l'a détruit encore un petit peu vous savez le vent de sable constamment qui frappe le visage et vous, vous savez que le nez du sphinx est au British Museum. The nose of the sphinx is in the British Museum. Et, et on aurait pu le récupérer pour revoir un peu quel était le visage. L'Égypte pourrait très bien le, essayer de le récupérer. Ça, c'est au moins la moindre des choses. And they are unable, the Egyptians are unable to have it back again to compare it with us. Mais peut-être que ces traits sont si typiquement africains que personne n'a envie de les reconstituer it, tels qu'ils étaient. It's perhaps because the features are so typically African that no one wants to see that that comparison be made. When was this slide, uh, this drawing rendered done? Est-ce que vous pouvez nous dire la date de, de cette uh, illustration? Uh, 2600 avant Jésus-Christ, c'est l'époque des pyramides. Ici, nous sommes là, à la, sous la quatrième dynastie. C'est le profil du pharaon Khafren. Hmm? C'est la quatrième, oui? C'est pas le sphinx qu'il veut savoir, c'est l'illustration à l'époque où Napoléon était là, n'est-ce pas? Oui. C'était quand? C'est 1800, à la fin du 19e siècle, fin 19e siècle. The end of the 19th century. Je passe. Mm -hmm. Ici, vous avez donc ici Amenophis premier, vous voyez qu'il est typiquement africain. Euh, donc, vous voyez que les pharaons ne se peignent pas toujours le corps en ocre rouge. C'est une habitude africaine. Tous les peuples africains, depuis la haute préhistoire, ont l'habitude de se peindre le corps en ocre rouge. This is Amenhotep the first, and you can see that he is. This is here is his natural skin color. He is not painted. Vous voyez aussi que ses cheveux sont crépus. And you can also see that his hair is. Disons, c'est cette dynastie qui va conquérir toute l'Asie occidentale. It is this dynasty represented here that, that conquers mm -hmm. all of the Western world. Yeah, euh, toute l'Asie occidentale. All of Western Asia. Et aussi toutes les îles de la mer Égée. And also all of the, the Aegean Sea. C'est une époque d'impérialisme africain. This is the period of African imperialism. À cette époque, c'est l'Afrique noire qui avait l'initiative historique. It's at that point that, that it is at this point that Africans had the imperial initiative. Et dominer tous les autres peuples, soit de la mer Égée, hein, donc de la Méditerranée orientale ou de l'Asie occidentale. And they dominated all of the people from the Mediterranean all the way into to far, the Far East. Un pharaon de cette dynastie. There was a this dynasty uh, qui s'appelle Tutmosis III. Who were called Tutmosis III. Tutmosis III. Yeah. Avait états. Conquered 100 au total, au total. 111 states in all. Uh, avait, il les avait conquis pour les, et qui étaient dans, et les a intégrés dans l'Empire égyptien. And they made them part of the Egyptian Empire. Ici, vous voyez euh, Ramsès II et un Tutsi. La parenté est frappante aussi entre la coiffure du, du pharaon, la coiffure du Tutsi et le casque, et le casque du pharaon. Here you have Ramsès II and a, a Tutsi warrior. You're, it's remarkable the, the similarity between 
the Tutsis had hairdo uh, and the helmet worn by the pharaoh. Or, ce pharaon est encore un des plus prestigieux justement de toute l'histoire égyptienne. He is one of the, certainly one of the most prestigious of the uh, Egyptian pharaohs. Vous voyez que des deux côtés, vous n'avez que la même réalité africaine, la même réalité anthropologique africaine. And you see the same reality, anthropological reality, that is African, the similarities between the two. Aussi, ça c'est Mentorotep premier. Aussi, vous voyez, il est noir. You can see another, another pharaoh who is also black. Typiquement. Typique, typical of, of that time. Donc, c'est le fondateur de la 11e dynastie. This is the founder of the 11th dynasty. La ville de Thèbes lui a voué un culte pendant mille ans. For some 1,000 years, the city of Thèbes in Upper Egypt worshipped this pharaoh. Ici aussi, vous voyez, un peuple qui représente ces dieux en couleur noire, c'est Osiris, qui est toujours représenté sous les traits d'un homme noir. Here, here you see uh, the represent, uh, representation of one people who always indicated their gods to be black of, of skin color. Ici, vous avez Ephnaton, le premier prophète qui a dit que Dieu est un, l'inventeur du monothéisme. This is the inventor of monotheism. Uh, the non. first to say that there was one God. Oui. C'est uh, justement le pharaon uh, qui a dit pour la première fois que Dieu est, est un et qu'on ne doit pas le représenter par une image. This is the first pharaoh to say that there is one God and that he must not be, that God must not be represented by images. Il était avant Moïse. He was before Moïse. Moses. Euh, la Bible n'existait pas encore. There was no Bible, not yet. À cette époque-là, la pensée religieuse encore, vous voyez, est partie de l'Afrique. C'est l'Afrique qui a initié la religion monothéiste. And so it is even Africa that is the origin of monotheistic religion as well. Vous voyez, ce pharaon avait six filles avec la reine. Nefertari. This pharaoh had six daughters with his queen Nefertari. Alors, une des filles est sur les genoux de la reine. One of the daughters is in the lap of the queen. Je vais la, je l'ai reproduit dans l'image suivante. Vous allez la voir. Hein? You see her again in la voilà. That's right. Sur les genoux de sa mère. Regardez comme elle est typiquement africaine. See how she is typically African. Avec la coiffure totémique. Un Africain sait que cette coiffure est totémique. And an African would know that this is a totemic hairdo. Et je l'ai comparé avec euh, un Mangbetu qui est la femme d'une tribu africaine actuelle pour la déformation du crâne. I have um, compared her with, with one of the, the African tribes that is known for the forming of the, mm. of the skull. Yeah. Ici... Ça, j'ai pris une publication de la revue euh, de Ivan Van Sertima et du professeur Finch. One of the mm -hmm. magazine, one of the uh, reviews or journals of 
Dr. Van Sudema and Dr. Finch. J'avais essayé la production, mais j'ai préféré les prendre dans les leurs parce que ces photos sont mieux rendues que celles que certaines que j'ai. I chose these because they are so much better done than others that I have. Vous voyez bien la la femme qui est à droite est la mère du pharaon que vous avez vu là tout à l'heure. C'est le pharaon Ikhnaton qui est à gauche et sa mère est à droite, la reine Taï. This is the pharaoh on the left and this is his mother on the right. Her, her name is Taï. Cette reine a joué un rôle prééminent dans la diplomatie de l'Égypte à cette époque. This woman, this woman had a preeminent role in diplomacy in Egypt at that time. Tous les rois dont je vous ai parlé, tous les rois télés là dont je vous ai parlé tout à l'heure, que l'Égypte avait conquis sous la 18e dynastie. All of the kings that I've spoken to you about um, who made their conquests up, up to the... Uh, uh, sous la dynastie précédente. In, uh, in the previous dynasty. Oui. Donc, écrivez à cette femme wrote to this woman pour lui demander auprès de son fils to intervene in these matters with her son pour que le pharaon les fasse entrer dans ses grâces so that they could be in the good graces of this king donc le pharaon était encore jeune the pharaoh was still very young et c'est lui donc vous voyez bien que la mère cette femme là est la mère du premier prophète de la terre et vous voyez bien Voici la mère qui est très africaine et voici le premier prophète lui-même aussi, le voilà. There you see this mother who, who is so typically African and then you see next to her also typically African, the first prophet of, of the world. Why is the history of Egypt so crucial to black people? What's at stake? Mais parce que, comme je l'ai souvent dit, la civilisation égyptienne, d'après tout ce que je viens de vous montrer, a joué le même rôle que la civilisation vis-à-vis -vis de l'Afrique, que la civilisation gréco-romaine vis-à-vis de l'Occident. Because Egyptian civilization played the same role for Africa that the Greco-Roman civilizations played for the Western civilization. Et donc, si nous voulons euh, recréer un corps de sciences humaines en Afrique, il nous faut repartir de l'Égypte. If we are to create a body of, of, of the human, of social sciences, Égypte. then we must part, as, take as a point of departure, Egypt. Euh, renouer avec la, les antiquités égyptiennes. Tied to ancient Egypt. C'est la seule façon, comme je le dis souvent, de réconcilier les civilisations africaines avec l'histoire. It's the only way to reconcile African civilizations with history. What would you say to the black parent who is satisfied with his or her child learning only European or white history? Non, euh, il faut apprendre l'histoire des autres, mais il faut se connaître d'abord. You, it's fine to learn the history of others, but you must know your own self first. Sinon, un peuple qui perd la mémoire historique est devenu un peuple fragile. If a people 
forgets its historical memory or loses its historical memory, it becomes a very fragile people. Il se désagrège. C'est la conscience historique qui nous permet de rester un peu plus fort. They regress, and it is that historical memory which permits them to be a strong people. C'est pour ça que même dans la diaspora, cette conscience doit être vivifiée. Il faut que ce lien continue d'exister où que nous soyons. Even in the diaspora, these ties must remain. Ceci ne va pas à l'encontre des lois des différents états dans lesquels nous vivons aujourd'hui. This can only help us make it and make our lives better in the various countries in which we live. La plénitude culturelle mm -hmm. doit faciliter mm -hmm. la fraternisation des races. The, the fullness of our, our culture will help us in, in, in finding or seeking the, the fraternity among races that we must have in this world. And you're listening to the Pan-African Journal Worldwide Radio Broadcast for Saturday, uh, February 3rd, 2024 uh, This is African American History Month And that was our opening salvo uh, for uh, African American History Month 2024 And uh, as the month proceeds, uh, we'll be bringing you more programming Related to the history and culture of uh, African people worldwide We'll take a break. Uh, we'll be back uh, with our concluding remarks. Get tossed 
of uh, Liz Wright uh, doing uh, the Neil Young cover of Old Man. And that's going to conclude our program uh, for today. You've been listening to the Pan-African Journal Worldwide Radio Broadcast for Saturday, February 3rd, uh, 2024, African American History Month 2024. 
you'd like to have access to this program, just go to our website at the Pan-African Radio Network. That's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. If you'd like to read the Pan-African Newswire, just go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. We'll close out uh, with the music of the Lee Morgan Sextet. This is uh, Abayomi Azikawe signing off, and have a beautiful week.